give a quick update. I just came back from Germany and Israel. And uh, first of all, if you know Igor Spadursky in Munich, Igor sends his greetings to everybody. Igor interned with us for a period of time back uh, several years ago. How's that? Is that better? About 9,000 Jews in Munich, and uh, most of them are Russians. And Igor can speak uh, English, German, and Russian, and he's a Russian-Jewish guy himself. And his desire is to build some kind of communal grouping. You know, I often like to point out that what we have here is a little unique. All right? I mean, I went to Munich literally to encourage Igor because he's frustrated and struggling. He, doesn't, he just doesn't know how to get people into a sense of community. And uh, he does. He just needs to kind of change his expectations. Uh, but I also went to Israel. And uh, there in Israel, uh, I met with a number of people, including Hannah Lang uh, and Shmuel. Okay, but Hannah, uh, who's from our community, and then Noam and Robin, who are from our community, they send their greetings. Uh, Robin is doing very well. She's going to give birth here in about three months, a little more maybe, but uh, they're both doing very well, and they send their greetings. And uh, so... Remember to keep uh, Robin in prayer, just because she's going into the last trimester. Uh, but uh, in talking with uh, them, and in talking with uh, a number of people, you know, including Hannah, community is a problem. It's hard to have community. You're thinking, how can it's hard to be having community? I think it's just that, it, you know, some of it is society. I think some of it is priority. Uh, society uh, kind of keeps us busy. Have you noticed that? Society keeps us busy, expectations for work, expectations for what life's supposed to be about. And community, though, demands that we prioritize being together and uh, prioritize what it means to be together. You know, in Germany, community for the Jews is a little bit difficult. Why? Because they feel kind of oppressed. They kind of feel a little insecure. I mean, the one thing I was told... Basically, whenever I go to Europe, I hear this, don't look like a Jew in Europe. <laughs> in Germany, do not wear a yarmulke on the streets. That is a public statement by the authorities. They're not trying to be oppressive. They're trying to provide some wisdom. Why? Why can't I wear a yarmulke on the streets of Munich or Berlin? Because there's a chance you will get beat up. Why? Because it's hard to be a Jew. Where can you be, in Germany? Where can you be a Jew in Germany? Yeah, in your home. But really, it's in the community. You have to decide you will prioritize Jewish community if you really want to have community in, in, uh, as a Jew in, in Germany. In Israel, it's interesting because you're surrounded by Jews in Israel. Let's remember, Israel is the only place today where Jews can easily be Jewish. You know what the problem is? It's not being Jewish. I was talking with one fellow who also is somebody connected with our congregation, but I won't mention his name, but a fellow who's now living in Israel, and he is very involved in the Jewish community there because of, of his, his current situation. And yet he can't find Messianic community. Why? Because the Messianics don't really prioritize actual community. Transparency. Authenticity. Being together. Living close together. You know, Noam and Robin told me they want to, I mean, having a kid. And, and they'd like to get a house. I mean, they're going to have two. Yeah, they're going to straight. When are you going to go and hang out with them? You're going to be there for a while, aren't you? Yes. All right, so Gloria is really excited. But you know what they said? 
They said they have a commitment to a small chavara, small community in Tel Aviv. An apartment in Tel Aviv. A little condo like what Eric and Rachel have, not even as nice and big as that. Probably a million dollars. You know, we're talking about it. No one's saying, yeah, I could buy a house. If I move out of Tel Aviv, I could get a house. be $350,000, to live far outside of the city center. But, but they both said they value community. Do we value community that much? You know, in Israel, it's interesting that, that everybody who does value community lives in pretty close proximity to one another. Why? So they can see themselves, each other more than once a week. In America, we're very interesting as a group, the Messianic Jewish community in America. We get together weekly. Generally, just once a week for a two-hour service, maybe three-hour service, depends how long the, the rabbi talks. <clears throat> and then we usually don't see each other again the rest of the week. Again, going and using uh, Robin and, and Noam, because that's a great example of this. And Hannah and Shmuel are going and hanging out with them, which I think is very good. They like to live close enough together. They see each other during the week. Robin's talking about being with her friends during the week. Community is not just in the building. Community is in your homes. I encourage you all, go over to the Barkers and eat their food, mess up their house. They're willing to open it. That's community. Some of you I know, I will never see the inside of your house, Bob Barrett. But that's okay, as long as you're willing to see the inside of my house. But community, it demands sacrifice demands sacrifice. It really demands a priority of being with one another more than just in some religious once-a-week situation. And you know, it's funny, as Jews, how often are we supposed to meet as Jews? Daily, in religious observance. Three times a day, uh, technically for communal prayer, shachrit, mincha, and marav, all right? Morning prayers, afternoon prayers, and evening prayers. Generally, Jews gather, though, in formal prayer Twice a day, shachrit, this is men generally, okay. But it can be everybody, but it's generally men who do this. But morning and evening. In fact, I have a good buddy, Joel, who his, he's part of the, you know, once or, once or twice a week, he agreed that he would be there for Marav, even though Joel is not religious. I don't even know if Joel believes in God, but he will be there twice a week, I think, for Marav because he agreed to make dominion. What commitment to community? Do you have that kind of commitment to community? I want us to take a look <clears throat> at uh, 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. I'm going to give a very short sermon because I had very short notice. But I want to say something. So I want to talk about sacrifice. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to read something. If I cry, it's because it's an emotional thing. And then we'll go into 1 Timothy 1. Israel's victory in its war of independence was determined to a great extent by the tens of thousands of young men and women, Holocaust survivors, who, rec who were recruited in Europe to, in order to join the ranks of the locally born and raised fighters. These young Holocaust survivors were known by the Hebrew acronym Gachal, Gius Chutz Laaretz, Overseas Recruits. Recruitment of Gachal came, uh, began towards the end of 1947 and the displaced pers persons' camps in Germany, 
Austria, and Italy. Later, recruitment was extended to other countries in Europe, as well as the detention camps in Cyprus. And I got to mention here, uh, Eliezer Erbach, of blessed memory, uh, was one of these guys, Jewish believer in Jesus, recruited out of the camps, sent to fight in the War of Independence, and survived. And he's now with our Messiah awaiting his return. Immigrants who had arrived in Palestine within the regular immigration quotas and were living in immigrant hostels were also drafted into the war effort. An overwhelming proportion of the Gachal recruits were Holocaust survivors, 23,000 out of a total of 26,000 recruits. The overseas recruits were not the only Holocaust survivors among the Jewish fighters in Israel. Some 70,000 survivors had joined the Haganah and the Palmach shortly after the arrival in Palestine. They had immigrated illegally, but they got in. These facts make it possible to determine that about one-half of the Israeli fighting force in the War of Independence consisted of Holocaust survivors. The recruitment of Holocaust survivors and their part in Israel's War of Independence are emotionally charged issues. It is easy enough to understand the tragedy of recruiting the last remaining members of entire families, individuals who had managed to escape by the skin of their teeth, the horrors of the Holocaust. It is painful indeed to consider the story of those who fell in battle, since most of the Gachal recruits were sent straight to the front lines to become part of the main fighting force. In retrospect, many of the recruited survivors had pointed out that the part they played in the war for the land and state of Israel gave them the feeling that they owned the country. It also helped them to alleviate some of the feelings of revenge, which had motivated them immediately after World War II. The revenge of redemption is how they defined this feeling. In his poem, one of the Gachal, Natan Alterman wrote, and a homeland awaited him, but he gave back his life, sometime in the night, dying for its sake. Now, <clears throat> I find this so amazing because on Mount Herzl, there's a memorial that exists for lone survivors. And it's, I take the kids there because <clears throat> I think it's helpful to remember that there are a lot of Jews who gave it all. They sacrificed everything, even their line. They were the sole survivors. And they sacrificed for the state. You know, again, Eliezer Erbach was the only survivor in his entire family. And he was recruited, given a gun, at I think the age of like 18, and sent to fight. And many of them died. They didn't know what they were doing. They were fighting armed Jordanian and Egyptian regular troops. Sacrifice. Something we don't know anything about in America. We sacrifice when the dry cleaner is closed on the time we need him. <laughs> or we sacrifice if we have to walk in the snow and somebody else didn't shovel it for us. We sacrifice when we get overlooked for a promotion because someone is better qualified than us. We do not understand sacrifice the way many people in the world do especially when it comes to our faith, especially when it comes to what it means to live as a Jew and to be a Jew and to appreciate Jewish identity. I think that for this 
particular time coming up here to the holiday of, of uh, Hanukkah and Messiahmas. Hanukkah is a story all about sacrifice. I mean, I, I uh, preached on this at a church a couple times a few weeks ago, but I went by Modi'in as I'm driving in the land. And, and Modi'in is, is a city outside of Jerusalem. It's like halfway between Jerusalem and the coast, and it's up in the hill country. And, uh, and it's Modi'in was where Mattathias lived with his sons. They were not wealthy people. They were living in a village on the outskirts of what would have been the Jewish community. They probably were under all kinds of economic pressures and religious pressures. And then, of course, the Syrian soldiers went up to them and, uh, and pretty much said, Hey, you guys, you Mattathias, you're a priest. You're the one who's going to sacrifice the pig on the altar. Prove your, your uh, submission to, uh, to, the, uh, to Antiochus, the, the crazy one. But he refused. In refusing, he could have died. But in the moment that he refused, another Jew said, let's, let's, not, be so, let's not be so uncompromising. What's the big deal? It's just a pig. We'll kill the pig and make the Syrians happy. Not a big deal. Compromise. You know, compromise is something that we as Jews really don't often struggle with. We just give in to it. God has called us to live a different way. Do we live that way? Do we observe God's instructions in regards to our food, to the Shabbat, to the priorities of Jewish life? Not as American Jews. No, we don't. Not as Messianic Jews. Almost never. We justify Ah, I'm free according from the law, according to Paul. Well, as we're seeing in the book of Romans, that may not be entirely correctly understood. Think about Igor. He and his wife, how are they going to raise Jewish kids in Germany? They're going to have to be willing to sacrifice. Because to compromise will lead to loss of Jewish identity. How do you get ahead in Germany? You live a secular life as a German cannot live a religious life as a Jew. You will suffer for that. How do you get ahead in America? You live a not too spiritual, but spiritual enough life, and you go for the most money you can make, and you live for entertainment and joy. What does a spiritually effective life look like in America? Setting everything aside on the altar of whatever God would want to say, God first, I want to live a real radical faith that is obvious to all so that God will be glorified and the people might be impacted. And as Jews, that means an identifiable life too because we are, as Jews are a light to the nations and a testimony of God's faithfulness to other believers. But it requires sacrifice. We have to demonstrate faithfulness to God. God is faithful to us. But faithfulness to God will always require sacrifice. Not to the death. Hebrew talks about you have yet to sacrifice to the point of blood. Nobody here is dying. I can guarantee you in France, Jews do suffer. They're physically beat up. Some have died. Saw a bunch of French Jewish kids on uh, Mount Zion coming from King David's tomb, which is probably not King David's original tomb. It doesn't really matter. But I was talking with them. And, and you, know what, you know what they all said? They're not planning to stay in France. Why? Because it's dangerous. 
dangerous. 18, 19-year-old kids realizing that it's safer to come to Israel than to stay in France. Sacrifice. Are we willing to accept the fact that our sacrifice mostly is small here, and yet we have a real hard time not compromising? Here in the book of 1 Timothy, take a look <clears throat> at verses 18 and 19. It says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in keeping with the prophecies once spoken about you, so that by them you fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Do you fight the fight of faith? Do you fight the fight of faith? Do you struggle with what it means to live out your relationship with God with ever greater effectiveness? Or that just sounds like odd, an odd thing to you. you know? Fighting the fight is a military campaign metaphor. He's using in the Greek something that those who had any experience in that time in the military, in the Roman military, would understand this. This is not a passive approach to life and life's spiritual realities, but an active militaristic approach. Do you get up in the morning understanding you are going to step out into and engage with the world and that God has called you to conquer the world around you for him? Maybe that's on the job where you recognize that you have a, an opportunity to fight a fight, a spiritual battle in your office or on your campus or in your neighborhood. Do you have that kind of a mentality? An aggressive, intentional desire to conquer for the sake of your Messiah. He talks about keeping the faith, holding the truth. Yeah, it's a real bummer. I probably spent a little bit of time meeting with some other individuals who are struggling with their faith. Two individuals specifically that I care a lot about. And they're compromising. On both cases, they're not an active fellowship. They're not an active community. They say they can't find community. I know, it's tough. But a fish out of water, what does a fish out of water seek? Water. <laughs> a believer out of community, what should they be seeking? Community. How many people does it really take to have community? Two. Three is better, according to the book of Proverbs. One girl, she and her husband, I met with them, great people. They're not regularly in fellowship. He finds ways to get some community. She doesn't and is losing her faith. I said, hold on to your faith. Get some community. And, of course, I told about a half a dozen people to go make friends with her. I'm good at that. If I ever tell you to go talk to somebody, there's a reason for it. All right? Hold on to the faith. You and I in this room, you may say, well, holding on to my faith, I believe in Yeshua. That's really good. But do you understand that the, the cares of the world and the influence of society can slowly leach out of you your zeal for the Lord? can just become a title in your life instead of the passion of your life. Remember, radical faith is, is really what it's about. And I like the word radical. I know I've never liked the word radical. But I think it is really what God wants us to be, that zeal and desire to know God more than anything else. But society wants to leach it out of you, leave you white, bread. It's the other thing I want to mention. The bread is always better out of America. 
in Europe, in Israel, it's always better. But as Americans, we tend to like white bread. But it's a good illustration of our spiritual lives. White bread. Our lives are weak and tasteless. Yet, we're to be salt and light. Hold on to the truth. Hold on to the right beliefs. Hold on to your faith. That will enrich your life and make you worth something that's tasty. <laughs> something that will light up the world. And then he says, have a good conscience. Have a good conscience. Live out a high moral character that is scripturally based. My wife and I were talking about this this morning. She made a really good point. When I became a believer in Yeshua, I was 15 and a half. I went from death to life, literally. I had lost all hope in life. At a young age, I was a functioning atheist, 12, 13 years of age. Realized it was intellectually dishonest to consider myself an atheist, so I became an agnostic. It's much easier intellectually to be an agnostic. <clears throat> At the age of 15, met believers who actually lived out their faith. I could see it change lives. So I made a decision to become a believer at 15 and a half. When I became a believer at 15 and a half, I stopped smoking, drinking, and swearing. And then I got involved in the Messianic Jewish movement, and I relearned how to smoke, drink, and swear. What good is that? Some of you chuckle, but some of you know. I was talking with somebody else about this. It's a very interesting phenomena. I was talking to my friend who's a pastor up in uh, Minnesota. Younger people today who are believers, so raised within the believing community, Christian community, he's talking about. He said to me, what is with the young adult community? There's so much alcohol among the young adults. Now, listen, you know, drinking is not an issue. But I think maybe as an example, it's too much of a priority when we gather. Just as an illustration. Carla complains about it all the time. I was so so surprised to hear it from my friend who's a pastor. And he's Christian Missionary Alliance, so they're not teetotalers. Maybe what it is, and maybe the point, is we, we, we are not living out the high moral character, the expectations the scriptures really want for us. Pornography, and this is an equal sexual gender problem today, is so pervasive that it's affecting marriages for obvious reasons. It's affecting dating. It's affecting everything. And yet the truth of the matter is, you know, it, it's, it's whether people are completely taking off their clothes or just being sexually inappropriate, it's also everywhere on TV. It's becoming disgusting. I was stuck on the plane, and I was like, oh, you know what, they've got short comedies. So I said, oh, I've heard about this and that because I don't watch anything at home. So I'm looking at a, a comedy. I think... I. One was regular over-the-air CBS. Another one was like an HBO comedy. And I can't remember the name, but one was Girls. And this other one, right? They're disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Do we care what we watch? You know, whatever you watch sticks in your head and doesn't go away. If you have a low moral compass, if you have a really low expectation for yourself, how can you think you're going to grow and be radical in your faith? You know, the Maccabeam... They had a very high expectation because God, they said, gave us a high expectation of the scriptures. Again, the, the problem uh, in talking with uh, some people in, in uh, both countries, young people are really falling away at a very high, high rate. In Germany, they almost have none of their second generation. They've all left the community. 
all left the community. In Israel, it's a huge problem as well. Half. Half. Met with Yoel Goldberg, one of the best guys I know in the land of Israel. Works with young people. He's 50 years old. He's my age. I'm not the only strange person out there who likes working with young people. And, uh, and his son-in-law works for him too, by the way. All right? And Yoel is so, so concerned about this. He and I were talking. I gave him some techniques and some pointers on caseload management. And, and it's a real problem. They go into the army and the kids get lost. Or they go into college and the kids get lost. And what traps them? Drinking, sex, believers. Well, how do you deal with that? Start young. Parents, what are you modeling for your children? Are you, are you modeling for them a good conscience, high moral character? Or are you modeling for them a low example? They will never exceed, generally, your example. They will use whatever you do as an excuse for themselves, which often leads to walking out the door. And that's not only in our morality, but also in our identity. You can't expect your kids to be more Jewish than you. I mean, I, I, I don't, I laid it, I laid it. You'll be going to religious schools, right? And a lot of people who went to religious schools, especially Russians who went to religious schools, had an incredibly positive experience. Not so much so. I know so many who went to religious schools because they were forced to who hated it. Forcing people to do things. It's Hanukkah coming up. You, you really, it's not hard to force kids to do Hanukkah because there's usually fried something and gifts. But in terms of normal Jewish observance, Kashrut or Shabbat, reading of scriptures, learning and valuing Hebrew, like Kim trying to get us to really take Hebrew more seriously, these are things we, we really want to lead people into by our example. So people see, ah, this is good. This is something good. Well, <clears throat> last part that I just want to read from the book of First Timothy, <clears throat> 19, the second part of uh, verse 19 and 20. By rejecting these, some have suffered shipwreck regarding their faith. Among these are Herminius and Alexander, who am I handed over to Satan to be disciplined, not to blaspheme. You may be out there saying, I'll never fall away. I can dance with the devil in a midnight moon or whatever that phrase goes. Sorry, I got it wrong. You know, it, it, the longer I live, it's amazing to see people that I love and care about who have indeed left the faith. They've just checked out. It's not because they didn't have it in their head. They just never got it down into their heart. Or maybe if it, you know, and I've seen people that have led people to the Lord, people that have served in ministry. They allow the things of the world to leach their faith and the radicalness of their faith out of them and become shipwrecked. Their lives become adrift. When he says, handing them over to Satan, this is not him being mean. This is him, as Bob said, in essence, standing up against sin and saying, I'm not going to have you with me. Your actions are inconsistent with the message. Putting them out. And we've had to do this a couple times here at the Varenna, especially with some young people. It's difficult. The hope is that when they are out, that God would do a work in their lives and bring them back. We've seen that happen too. I always like to point out Josh Norman. I kicked him out of the youth group. You know, best thing I ever did for him. Became a believer and 
think Josh is doing okay. He moved to North Carolina. That's the only bad part. But anyway, well, <clears throat> I want to just conclude by giving us a bit of a challenge. How tasty are you in your faith? On this Hanukkah Eve and Messiah Eve, got to bring Yeshua into this. How tasty are you? Really, can people taste the reality of your faith and find that it has real, real enrichment, that it's really good and tasty? Yeshua said, I am the light of the world. He uses that reference at the holiday of Hanukkah. How light is your life? How brightly do you shine to the people around you? How good is your testimony in your faith in Yeshua that people can see it? And what would be necessary to take it up a notch or two? Maybe you're a, a 60 watt bulb right now. But God says you have the capacity to be a 100 watt bulb. But you gotta be willing to take more heat. Are you willing to take the heat in order that God might make you glow more? Something to think about. God is always in the business of helping us get to that point. Because God wants us to produce more than we think we can for his kingdom and for his glory. Now, how are you living your life as a Jew? Is your life a one of compromise? Or is your life one where it's like, yeah, I'm Jewish, but nobody really knows because at work I'm eating the BLTs and the sausage pizzas along with everybody else? Or I really don't want to stand out. I really, being Jewish is difficult. It's a pain. I really don't, don't like being Jewish. Consider the Maccabean. And consider your Messiah, Yeshua. The Maccabean chose to live Jewish life because they understood it was God's calling for them. Sometimes I think none of us is Jews, including myself. None of us like to be Jewish all the time. It's the other. We're always the other. In Israel, we're not the other. It's the only place, okay? Unless you're in like Hebron or something or Bethlehem. Well, you can't even go to Bethlehem. Are you willing to accept God's calling for you to be the other? Because if we're willing to be the other and to live it in such a way that people can see it, then we actually bring glory to God because we demonstrate God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to a nation. It should be gone. We should be eliminated already. But we're not. And actually, then we probably, if we're willing to understand and accept our calling to be the other, we can understand the difficult realities of Jewish life because generally the unbelieving world hates what is God's and we represent God's faithfulness in serving a purpose toward his end, which also makes others feel very uncomfortable. Are you willing to be the other? Are you willing to accept that calling that God has given us as Jews, recognizing that that calling is also the calling of all Jewish people? whether believers or not. But at this Hanukkah, give thought to this. The Lord our God is a faithful God. The Lord our God has kept us, ultimately sending for us the Messiah, Yeshua, who is the ultimate other, don't you think? He was willing to, to demonstrate his faithfulness to the cross, giving us a pattern by which to follow he then called us to follow him, both as Jews and as radical followers of Yeshua, living out his example of Jewish life and radical faith.
So during this holiday season of Hanukkah and Messiahmas, let's live as good, wonderful bread and as bright lights, tasty and illuminating, so that others might understand our faith in the God whom we serve. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the fact that, God, you have indeed saved us. You've given us an example to live by. And God, help us to be willing to sacrifice. Help us to be willing to give our lives wholly and completely over to you. Help us to remember, God, that, that ultimately, if we're not careful, we can, be, we can ourselves fall away. Help us, God, to avoid that by staying close to you, by really submitting our lives 100% to you. Help us to also be an encouragement to one another that we would be the community we all need so that we can together be a light and an encouragement to others. Again, we thank you, God, for the, I thank you for this community. Thank you for this place where we can indeed be an encouragement to one another and to live out our lives as both followers of Messiah Yeshua and as members of the Jewish community. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.